morning. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I add my welcome to you. And as uh, Cindy shared, uh, we believe that God is moving among us to uh, unite us, to bring us together, which is kind of a challenge in this age of uh, pandemic season, right? Uh, so that's one of the questions that we've been having as we've been going through a series on seasons. Uh, how is God continuing to move in our midst? Uh, so that we are moving forward in the same direction, sometimes when we might not even be able to be in physical proximity to each other. But we believe that the purposes of God from before the creation of the world are continuing to be worked out in our lives today and leading us to that ultimate fulfillment for which God has called us to be a people of grace who are called by grace to be stewards of grace to others. And that's what we've been talking about. I'm going to do a little bit of furniture move in here so God is on the move because... You know, God might move me to get a little more crazy, and I, I just don't want to knock over any of this nice equipment. You guys like the changes that are happening on the platform here? A little bit at a time. We got our, our backdrop painted, and we can now start working on uh, all these wonderful staging things that we can do to remind us of uh, God's creativity in our lives that can draw our hearts and our minds into worship. We're excited about the changes that are continuing to happen. And again, a lot of this is coming from your support and generosity, so we thank you for that. Before we jump into our series finally today, I want to invite you to pray with me one more time. So let's ask God through His Spirit to speak a word to each one of us through His Word. What is it that, that, that God needs to speak to you today and to me so that we, we go from here today knowing that we have met with the living God who speaks and who calls us from this place to go into the world and be disciples of Jesus? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who speaks. Through your word and through your son and through your spirit, you continually pour forth speech. You know, the creation itself speaks of the glory uh, that you have from before the foundations of the earth. You have been sharing who you are with us, that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love. We thank you for that. We ask that you would speak to us now through your word in a special way. To call us courage and strength to respond to your gospel message and to become people of grace in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. As we've been saying, if you've been following along with us in the series, uh, we feel like we're in a season where we need uh, encouragement to remember that even though in many ways life might feel like it continues to be on hold, uh, life calls us forward. There, there is more that God has planned for you and for me and for Faith Covenant Church. And, and, and because Jesus is alive and He's risen from the dead and He sits victorious on the throne in heaven, the life continues to call us to look up and to trust that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, even to the difficulties and the challenges, God can make all things work for our good and for His glory. Amen? The other thing that we're discovering is that this uh, phrase, life is calling, is also uh, has a double meaning, that, that for the Christian, life is calling, that God has created us and called us on purpose and for a purpose. And as we discover the purpose of God for our lives that is revealed through our relationship with Christ, all the other things in our lives begin to fall into place and make sense in the priorities and the plans of God's kingdom. And we begin to experience the fulfillment of the new life in Christ that He promised us, that, that even now is beginning to work itself out as we participate in bringing the kingdom of God into the world. We participate in the ultimate fulfillment of all things being united and made whole to be part. 
the Ephesians, we've been learning that in God the Father, we've been adopted into a new community called the church. In God the Son, we are redeemed and we receive a new identity in Christ. And that through God the Holy Spirit, we become empowered through the presence of Christ in our lives by meaning and value and purpose in all of our relationships with one another. And that's really ultimately what it means to be the church. We discover that grace is a gift that is a gift to the purpose. And so Paul picks up again in chapter 4 now in verse 1 where he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, and if you were with us last week, this is a new title that Paul has taken on because of the grace of of Christ in his life and has transformed his self-understanding and his, his sense of purpose as a prisoner for the Lord then says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so he's not pulling any more punches. He says it right there. For the Christian, life is calling. Now literally, this uh, phrase should be translated, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so, even in the way that Paul says it, there's this unifying idea that grace comes to us with a purpose, that, that we are called by grace to, uh, to be a people of grace, to reveal a God of grace in the world. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And, and this idea of walking, I love it because it kind of has an intentional journey aspect to it, which we know the Christian life is really a journey of walking with Jesus. Uh, one of the, the old questions in the covenant church was, how goes your walk with the Lord? Discipleship to Jesus is, is not just a belief system that we agree to, but it's a, it's a journey, it's a hike that we go on through life with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus, we are asked to take intentional steps on that journey. We choose where we make our next steps, and we have the ability to participate in God's call by how we choose to walk through life together. And so Paul says, walk worthy, walk in a manner that, that, that lives up to this calling of grace with which you've been called. So that's what we talked about last week in chapter 3, to receive God's grace. This is just to be forgiven from our sins, which yes, it is all about that, but it's to be called, to be called by grace to be a steward of that grace that we've been given to those around us. Grace enlists us and empowers us to be managers or stewards of God's grace in our own lives and our own relationships. And in this journey, as we become stewards of God's grace, the ultimate fulfillment of this calling is that we realize we are participating in revealing who God is to a lost and hurting world. As Christians, this is the beginning of our sense of discovering our life. Our life's vocation, our life's calling. That in Christ, it's not only to receive God's grace for ourselves, but it's to be sharers of grace and love. And what Paul says openly that our lives are to be for the praise of His glory. The glory, you said, are those things that reveal God in the world. And, and what Paul has said is the things that reveal God are His grace and His mercy and His love, which is the biggest message of all of that then comes to remind us, as we've been saying in this series, that, that you can sum all of this up by saying, when Jesus shows up, everything changes, right? Everything changes. He 
beginning of our sense of life purpose is that we discover that maybe everything that we thought about life wasn't was wrong, and that when Jesus shows up, not only our mindset and our worldview is changed, but but our experience of life and relationship changes, and we begin to discover that the very purpose for why God created us the way that He created us is that we are uniquely designed to share God's faith with those that He's called us. Now, in chapter 4, Paul is going to begin to transition from the why questions, right? These big worldview questions that help us understand this new reality that we live in in Christ to the how questions. How do we begin to live all this all out? And, and what happens is that scholars suggest that, that the second half of Ephesians really moves into Christian ethics and morals. And I just want to warn you that we don't often really like ethics and morals in our modern culture, do we? They start to feel like, you know, goods and arts and religious uh, rituals and things that, that kind of impinge on our freedom. Uh, we don't like to talk about ethics and morals in our tolerant, pluralistic culture. It's not politically correct. So the second half of this letter is going to start to get a little bit more challenging for us as we try and apply the ethics of a Christian life. Now, what are ethics and morals? I mean, maybe we would be helpful to just talk about that a little bit, since it's not something we often really focus on anymore in our culture. Well, Webster says that ethics are a noun, and it's uh, a principle of right and wrong that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity, often concerning, concerning what is considered responsible behavior. Now, hang on to that word responsible. We're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. Now, morals and ethics really can be synonymous, so not clearly differentiated, but morals, Webster suggests, often describe one's particular beliefs or values concerning right and wrong that then kind of guide our ethical decisions, our behaviors. Ethics are seen to apply more in specific areas of life choices and how we behave in given situations, and particularly what does responsible action look like? And so you may hear about that, you know, corporate ethics. What are, what are the responsibilities of, of, of corporations in America to, to behave ethically or to behave morally? Uh, what are the, the ethics uh, of how we manage our, our finances and our government, you know, and, and when we're spending people's tax dollars? What is ethically responsible for how we can or should or, or do spend tax dollars? There's lots of ways that ethics and morals are, are a part of our culture. We just don't always like to talk about them a lot. You see, Paul's concern here is that as he moves into this idea of what does responsible human action look like in the world, it all becomes for him about how do we respond to God's grace. And I had a professor in seminary talk about how responsibility really is, for the Christian, how we respond to God's grace. It's an ability to respond to the grace that God has given us. And so, in that sense, how we now respond to this new reality that is revealed by Christ becomes, for us, the beginning of Christian ethics and what responsible behavior looks like in this world. And so he jumps right in in verse 2 and he says, Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love, humility, gentleness, patience, 
long suffering. I mean, these are real easy for us to, to do, right? Now, now you just need to say, you know, think about being humble once in a while. You can say, think about, you know, being patient when it suits your needs. You say, be completely humble. Be completely gentle. Be completely patient. Bearing with one another. And scholars suggest that all of these characteristics are characteristics of what love in action looks like for Paul. This is the evidence of God's love at work in our lives. Our human tendency, if we're honest with one another, right, isn't to be humble, isn't to be patient, isn't to be gentle. We, we, we want to look out for number one first. We want to react quickly. We want to speak and not listen. We want you to agree with me, and I don't want to have to uh, consider your opinion. We, we are, right, as James says, the opposite. We are quick to speak and slow to listen, where James says we should be slow, quick to listen, and slow to being humble and gentle and patient and long-suffering is not a common characteristic that we get to experience in modern American culture. We don't see it on TV or in our movies. We don't experience it in our work lives. We don't see it played out in our culture. And yet Paul says the church is the place where we are called to live a different form of life. If you think about how Jesus taught his disciples, didn't Jesus say that you will know a tree by its fruit? Right? So what is the evidence that we are agents of God's grace, that we've received God's love, that we've been forgiven our sins, is that we demonstrate gentleness and patience and long-suffering in our relationship with one another because that is the evidence of love. Love isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling that we fall into and out of. Love is a commitment to live in a responsible relationship with those that God has called us to serve as an agent of God's grace in our lives. See, while God's grace is something we receive purely as a gift, and, and there's nothing that we can do to earn it, and God says, you can have it because I love you, grace is a gift with a purpose. It comes with a response ability that God invites us to live into as a part of discovering the very purpose of our lives. That's why Paul goes on in verse 3 to say, make every effort. Okay, you get that one. To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Partial effort. Make some kind of effort. So make every effort. Do everything humanly possible as it depends on you, it says in another passage, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, it's God's calling to unity in the body of Christ. He's talking about church here, men and women, that leads us to make every effort to stay united as a body and to work. To the, to, to the best of our ability to demonstrate the peace of God, the shalom of God in our life and our relationships with one another. Do you understand how different this is from the current cancel culture in which we live? Do you understand how counterculture it is to make every effort to seek unity and peace with people who we disagree with, with people who we differ from, with people who we, we don't really like all that much? 
see, our culture says it's okay to just cancel them. It's okay to just cut ties and walk away. In fact, if you don't cancel, if you don't cut ties, you And so the, the values of our culture have been flipped upside down and what we are being trained and conditioned and kind of discipled into in the world around us is, is an anti-Christian way of living. And I hate to say it, but men and women, this is infiltrating this way. I think there's so many conversations I've had with married couples who have promised that, hey, can you set up an appointment and we can talk to you? And they come and they sit down in my office and they just say, you know what? We're done. We can't, we can't do it anymore. And they say, well, well, well what have you got? And they say, well, not much. You know, I try to, we try to talk about it, but we can't agree, and so there's no point. They say, well, have you tried counseling? No, not Well, you know, have you tried to get a mediator and just, you know, we're not popular? No, we haven't tried that. Well, you know, before you decide you're done, maybe you'll consider saying, and I would recommend that, that in your own conscience, later on in life, you'd say, we've done everything that we possibly can to save the relationship before we say that we're done. Right? How many years have you invested in this relationship before you come to this decision? How much more time do you think investing to try and make it work would be worth trying to save it? Because in the end, a little bit of time putting in every effort to say in good conscience, hey, we did everything we can because we all know that sometimes relationships break down, right? There's no guarantee that relationships aren't going to break down. That's another thing I hear a lot of couples say. Well, we're not sure what to do because we don't believe in divorce, but we don't really love each other anymore. And I, yeah, I had to tell them, I said, whether well, you believe in divorce or not, divorce happens. <laughs> and it happens from a failure to make every effort to see community and peace in the relationship. It takes great sacrifice to equally reject the See, our unity in the church, which is the body of Christ, which is the family of Jesus. It's not a building on a corner. It's not a religious club that we go to. It's not where we pay our dues and expect religious services. It's a family that we have been adopted into, that we have committed to, that we become a, in a covenant relationship in Christ. This, this relationship in church comes from the unity of who God is and the Spirit of God that we all share. And our unity in church comes from the, the unity that God has in Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it goes back to the Old Testament, even the, the Shema of the Israelites that began that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it's because He is one that we are called to be one. In verse 4, He expands on this idea that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in, in, in light of this amazing gift of mercy and grace, how can we not make every effort We know that the grace of God and the unity of God is not erased by our unique individuality or our personal responsibility to participate in this kind of a community. It seems that he goes on in verses 7 through 11. He says, But to each one of us, 
grace has been given. Grace for the purpose, I would add, has been given as Christ apportioned or as Christ has measured. And, and here, as we read measure, don't think some have more and some have less. Paul has already said he has lavishly given his grace to everyone. It's not that some have more and some have less. It's that some have different kinds of grace that work differently so that we all participate in functioning in the body of Christ in our own unique ways. This is why it says, and here he's quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he became a servant and he became like us. He was born in the flesh and he identified with our sin and he identified with our brokenness to the point of even taking our sin on the cross and dying as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven and we could receive this grace. And then God raised him from the dead and he ascended back into the heavenly realm where he's seated on the throne as the victorious Lord and therefore we have hope that God's promise will be fulfilled. Right? This is everything that Paul's been talking about in the letter of Ephesians so far. This is a new reality that we have in Christ. So Christ himself, he says in verse 11, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and so we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we can mature the healing to the whole message of the whole message of Christ. You see, in Jesus' victory, he's given grace to each person and he's given gifts to his people, Paul says. The imagery he's using here is a, is a military victory parade. Right? Where, where Christ has now vanquished his enemies. He's, over, he's won the battle. And, and the, the winning commander takes all of the losing army and he, he, he takes them back as slaves. He, he, he gets them as gifts, as rewards for winning the battle. And so when they march back into the city, they come back with all of these captured slaves that are now the, the booty right, of the war. It's, it's the war victory uh, you know, gift. And so there's this victory motif going on, and it says that Jesus, who is the victor, not only receives gifts himself, but no, he comes and he gives gifts to his people. And most often, we often think about spiritual gifts, but if we read more closely, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about spiritual gifts, even though they're, they're woven in here. What are the gifts that Jesus gave? The people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers, and that's really kind of one word there, that it's a shepherd teacher. These are people that God gives as gifts to his church for the healthy functioning and the building up of the body. What is the purpose of these people? To equip his people for works of service, which we call often ministry, right? That's what ministry is. It's a, it's a work of service. Why? So that the body of Christ can be built up. But what's the body of Christ? People. It's you. It's me. All of this grace gifting, all of these things that Jesus is doing, is so that you and I will be built up, so that we'll grow in our relationships, so that we'll experience the love of God together. So 
So according to Paul, what does it look like? Well, we, we become united together in the faith in Jesus. And we share a relationship of knowing Jesus together. And in the process, what happens is we grow to become mature That's what he says we will experience the fullness of Christ together. Or I mean better is that the wholeness of Christ in our relationship is the it's the shalom, it's the peace, it's the, the purpose for why Jesus gave his life so that all things can be united in him and experience the healing and the wholeness of God in the midst of a sinful and broken life. Maybe we could summarize it to say we become spiritually mature when we understand that our calling is is to become responsible for the spiritual care and welfare of another person. Let me say that again. I think Paul is telling us that we become spiritually mature when we understand that our calling in Christ is to become responsible for the spiritual care and welfare and too often, I think, we, in our individualistic approach to church and Christianity, we can come to church every week. We can go about our lives reading our Bibles and having our devotionals and wonder about where Christ is working in our lives, but we miss the whole point that God has given us His grace to be a steward of grace to somebody else. And so maybe the questions we need to begin asking one another as the church is, who has God made you responsible for to care for their spiritual welfare and well-being? Who are you helping to grow in, in their relationship with Jesus, to see them develop into a mature believer themselves, to discover their own sense of calling and life purpose? Because if you can't name at least one other person, maybe you're missing the whole part of what God wants to use your life for, to be a blessing to others and to reveal His glory with real people in a real way, in a real world. See, church is not about religious rule people. It's about developing healthy and mature people. These works of service and the ministry that we are called to do are not programs of an institutional organization. It's the lifestyle of God's people sharing God's love with one another. And we're intended to all participate in this lifestyle as we build up unity and we grow in our knowledge of Jesus as we develop people who become spiritually mature. And he says in this, each person, every one of us, you and me, have received the gift of grace, which is a gift with a purpose, and have been given a measure of the responsibility to build up the To be a part of the church is to be a part of the mission of the church, which is to develop people. This is how grace with a purpose begins to manifest itself in our lives. And as we've been learning, our unity comes from being united in Christ and that gospel message is that Christ is the one who gives us the resources to do all of this in our lives and in our church and in our marriages and in our families. When Jesus does that, our calling and our purpose is to walk worthy of this calling with which we've been called. To begin to live out the grace of God with someone else who God has called us to It's when we begin to discover this sense of responsibility. That, you know, how many of you love 
life before this. Right? Remember, remember those, those, those years before kids? You were free from responsibility. You could go anywhere you wanted, whenever you wanted. You could play. You could do all these things. And then kids come along, and all of a sudden, oh, man, I'm not responsible for this life. And they're depending on me. And, and, and it has restrictions on my time. And, it, and, and I can't live only for myself anymore. But we can't live only for our marriage anymore. We're now a family. We have to be responsible for someone else. See, that's what Paul's talking about. If the mature Christian becomes responsible in a way that, that parents become responsible for a child, we say it's not a, a higher or lower than kind of thing. Maybe we shouldn't say responsible for, right? But really, it's responsible to. Who are we willing to allow God to make us responsible to? Not that we're the expert and we have it all figured out, but we're responsible to encourage them. We're responsible to bless them. We're responsible to help walk with them. Maybe something like this asking, how can I do that with you? How can I encourage you this week? How can I be a blessing to you? What can I do to help you overcome your doubts, your fears? How can I help you learn more about who Jesus is and, and who He wants to be in your life? It doesn't mean that I have to know it all and be an expert. It simply means I have to be willing to become responsible to you. When Paul says in verse 14, we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful singing. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Grows and builds itself up in love. How? You pause and hey guys, all of this stuff we've been talking about with Jesus, all of this amazing good news that we keep hearing about week after week, all of the things that you're reading in the Bible about who God is and what He has done and what He's accomplished and what He's invited you to, it's time to grow up. It's time to take responsibility for your life. It's time to stop waiting on somebody else to take responsibility for you and recognize that God is calling you to be responsible to somebody else. And that if you are willing to use the gift of grace that God has given you to be responsible for somebody else, you're going to grow in your own spiritual life. You're going to grow in your own faith. Right? Because we all know that when we have to become a, a, a responsible teacher for somebody else, we often learn more and grow more in our own lives, right? That's how discipleship works as well. Spiritual infants, he says, are easily swayed in their thinking. They're, they're reactionary. They're all over the place. They're here today, gone tomorrow. They tend to be gullible, lacking commitment to unity and peace, and instead are focused more on getting their own way and tend to manipulate those around them to try and sway them to their thinking. By contrast, he says, a mature, growing faith will be characterized by what? Speaking the truth. Those who are spiritually mature have learned the ethic of speaking love. Interestingly, here, Paul uses. Uh, the word Paul uses for truth is actually a verb. Literally, 
we can translate it truthing in love. Paul says, truthing in love, we will grow. Truthing for Paul is an action. It is something that someone does. And if you go back and understand how this word for truthing uh, relates to the rest of the Bible, truthing is a relational term. It's not a noun. It's not intellectual knowledge. It's a way of living in relationship with other people. A truthful person is someone who lives out their commitments and responsibilities to other people. It's directly related to the idea of keeping the covenant in the Old Testament. That is core truth is about maintaining fidelity in relationships. So truthing in love is really what binds us together in open and honest and loving relationships. Even when we don't see eye to eye, we can still walk. Here, Paul says that speaking and living the truth of the gospel message is in direct contrast to deceitful schemes that carry away the immature, that break down fellowship and divide people into camps and break relationships. The truth that Jesus has revealed is that God is God's grace and God of mercy and God of love. And if we, as Jesus' disciples, those that have been, been called to follow Him or to live in fidelity with the truth of who God is, to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called, then we will live in truthing love with one another. And in this way, we will grow up together to become like Jesus. See, here's the, the, the idea of growth is a part of the Christian journey and directly connected to Paul's thinking about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We've said this before, remember? Healthy things grow and growing things change. Right? Growth and change and progress what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus and allowing the, the gifts of Christ to transform us from the inside out to Jesus. See, we know, Paul says, that we are growing in Christ, and we're growing in our ability to participate in building up the body of by becoming people who can act something in life. One scholar I was reading said, we need to recover a sense of the calling with which we've been called some have criticized the modern church experience as being one big mouth and many little ears. How often is that true of our experience of church, though, right? Where, where, where the pastor or the staff or the ones who kind of do full-time ministry and the rest of us are just kind of dabblers, right? We, we dabble in it. We come on Sunday. We, we have a five, five or ten minute devotional we have in all that we are so that so like everything that we do not only in church on Sunday morning but in school during the week and in our workplaces when we work with our co-workers become all about living out God's calling in our lives to be a carrier of God's grace in the world. Paul stresses that every person in the church has been given responsibility ethically responsible Build up the body of Christ. We receive grace with a purpose, and we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for you and for me to live worthy of this calling? Because it's only, he says, as each part does its work that the whole body is truly strong. We can't do it without you. 
God called you for a purpose. God has brought you to this place for a purpose to participate in the building up of the body of Christ. To say it another way, we cannot fulfill our calling as a church unless and until we are willing to help every person understand their God-given responsibility and help them seek to fulfill this calling in their lives. How many of you have ever had a church that's really done that? I would suggest there aren't a whole lot of churches that are actually fulfilling this calling of God in their life to build up the body in the way that the Bible truly describes. Brian Snodgrass, in his commentary on Ephesians, says that this passage provides a blueprint for redesigning the work of the church and how we pursue ministry together. And men and women, if you need a new blueprint for how to do church in the age of COVID 19 and what's coming ahead in the next few years, I don't know what time we would need a blueprint, but, but how, how amazing is it that even in a time when maybe we can't all be worshiping together, we can still be participating in building up the body of Christ if we understand that the goal is to develop people. Each person in this process is a gift to the church. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean sameness. It doesn't mean that we become all alike. In fact, unity is only found because of our diversity. It's our diversity of gifts. It's our diversity of calling. It's our diversity of uniqueness in Christ that allows the unity to be a beautiful picture of the grace of God in our midst. And in reality, I believe Paul is telling us that you cannot be a mature Christian. Can't be in a church Christian by yourself. You've got to be in a relationship with other believers, building up the body. That's what it means to be a gift. So our goal and our challenge, and I suggest that this is something that we're talking about as a staff in this season. Our leadership team is beginning to talk about it. We're sharing it with leaders, and we're, we want to bring everyone into the conversation. Our goal and our talent, again, in this season at Faith Covenant Church, is to learn how do we train every person to be enabled in their own sense of calling and life purpose to live out God's calling in their lives and not just through church ministry or programs, but in the world. And, and, and I think if we could solve that nut, this could be a pretty powerful way. Can you imagine what it would be like? If you could go to a friend of yours, maybe it's even a, 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 a non-believer, and you say, you know, you want to come to my church. You're going to discover who God has created and wired you to be. You're going to discover how God has uniquely called you to live your life to be a blessing to others. And, and it's going to be amazing. And there's not only going to be teaching on how to do it, but there's going to be people to walk with you to help you figure it out. And, and you're going to get to do it together with other people who you can learn from and you can experience it, you can grow with. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'll be your part of the shared lifestyle of what it means to be a faith community together, to be encouraged, is what Paul summarizes and describes simply in saying, being true to God. Being true to God. You know, we can say worship is telling the truth about God, right? Confession is telling the truth about ourselves. 
And doing truth and love is all about living in the space of grace where we're honest about how weak and broken we are, but we are celebrating the goodness of God and how God uses broken and hurting people just like that to be a blessing. For one person, if God would put on your heart through His Holy Spirit, you say, This is the person that feels God's calling me to be responsible to you. And maybe that's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's the best friend. Or, or, or maybe it's a grandchild or somebody in your family. Or maybe it's someone in the church that you know, but, but you haven't been really connected with. And God might put them on your heart and say, You know what? I need to pursue an intentional walk with them. No other foundation, Paul says, exists for healthy living in the church than truthing one another in love. It's not an abstract exercise, it's a personal, practical choice to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure for the welfare of some other person. See, living in honesty and truth and being so in love. Actually, I want to suggest discovering true freedom in Christ. We don't have to be afraid of our sins. We don't have to be afraid of our brokenness. We don't have to be afraid of the ways that we're, we're not experts. All we have to do is be willing to say yes to Jesus. What does God want us to do in this season and place? And how does God want you to participate in These are questions we're going to be to explore and seek together as a church. And so I look forward to the way that God reveals in your heart how He is calling you to participate in truthing in love as we build up the body of Christ together. Amen? Holy God, we recognize that our heart for what church is and can be is we long for church to be meaningful and vital, and yet there's so many ways in which the ways that Paul is describing what church is or could be is missing from our That in the season of COVID-19, where we're having to rethink how we do church and how we live our lives, we can help us to refocus on your priority. See the value of your calling in our lives to be people who, who treat one another in love, to be a part of what you are inviting us to find at least one person who you're calling us to become responsible to. And as we say yes to you, Jesus, I pray that you give us the courage and strength to follow through in our response to your grace and your love in our lives and find great joy and healing and wholeness through our relationship with those that you call us to. Yes, it's in Jesus' name.